welcome to this presentation of Bethel Family Church. We hope you enjoy listening and that it helps you to grow closer to Jesus. It says, if I believe, why do I still doubt? And I want to, I guess, be a little bit honest this morning and talk about one of the things that we don't talk about very often in church and that's doubt. And often, I guess, when, you know, you might be sitting there in the congregation and when it comes to the, the sermon and the message and you're listening and it sounds like I'm absolutely convinced of everything that I'm saying and never have any doubts and all that kind of stuff. Some of you who know me better than that might realise that that's what, what I am wanting to, I guess, present and, and be confident of. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, uh, it's not that I'm faking it or anything like that, I don't want you to kind of get that impression, but... When I, when I share something on Sunday morning, uh, it's something that I've studied and I've, I've looked at and I've spent time with God in and I come and I present that with that confidence. But that doesn't necessarily mean that I don't ever have any doubts. And I'm sure that you can probably relate to that in a sense because I think we all have doubts about different things at different times. We can even look at, you know, the great heroes of the Bible and, um, you know, look at characters like Abraham and God gave him this amazing promise and appeared to him in a vision and promised him a, a, a son. And, uh, you know, but, but he had doubts, didn't he? There were moments when he thought, oh, maybe God meant that, you know, it was, I was going to have a child not with Sarah, my wife, but with my, my wife's servant. And so he had a child that way because he was trying to kind of go, maybe this, there was this kind of uncertainty about his whole thing. People like Moses, you know, when God... Uh, appeared to Moses and the whole burning bush thing, he didn't really seem that confident from the kind of the story that we read in, in the book of Exodus, did he? He's like, God, I'm really not so sure about this. I'm not sure you picked the right guy. I'm not sure they're going to listen to me if I go on to them and say these things. I, I'm not sure what, how they're going to respond. And we hear all of that kind of uncertainty. I'm not sure if I'm the, you know, the, the public, spe- public speaking is not really my gift, Lord, you know, and that whole kind of thing. Uh, even guys like Gideon, you know, you remember Gideon and this, this angel, this warrior angel appears to him and says, you know, hey, mighty man of God, you're going to kind of get up and arise and Gideon's like, hang on a minute, I think you got the wrong bloke. <laughs> and he says, no, 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 I want you to go and, and, and lead Israel to freedom from the, the Midianites and, and Gideon's like, I'm really going to need some confirmation on this one. You know, and he puts out the whole, the, the fleece and it has to be wet and the ground's dry and so that happens and the next day you'd think that'd be the convincer, right? Because it's like this supernatural sign, apart from the whole mighty warrior angel uh, appearing to him kind of thing, it comes back again, the angel comes back again, he's like, St- still not sure, still not sure, Let, let's do it again but the other way around, you know, and you can read that story in, in the book of Judges but we kind of see through that whole thing that there's elements of doubt and, and one of the amazing things that I find about the story of Gideon, about the story of Abraham and, and other stories like this in the Bible is that there doesn't, you know, particularly with Gideon, we, we have a really clear kind of detailed account and what we don't see is the angel saying, oh come on Gideon, get your act together, what are you doubting for? You know, you should just believe me the first time around, that's it, you're out, I'm going to go pick someone else. You know, it doesn't go that way, does it? It's like this amazing kind of 
patience and, and, uh, and two times. Uh, you know, remember, this is spread over two days because it's like two nighttime oh, things happen overnight. And this, the, the response is just, yep, okay, you know, it'll happen. And so there's this confirmation from Gideon. Even David, King David, the greatest king, warrior king in the history of Israel had moments of doubt. The man who was described as being the king, the man after God's own heart, who worshipped, who wrote psalms, who, who led Israel to an amazing time of prosperity, who remained faithful to God. He, he, he penned these words, 22, in the first couple of verses, we see King David write these he says this, says, we, we read this, this is David is writing this psalm, he says, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night I lift my voice, but I find no relief. Does that sound like the voice of a man who is absolutely confident that he's doing what God wants him to do and that God's going to be there and you know it, it doesn't really doesn't it? it it sounds like the voice of a man who's going I'm pretty sure you're still there God but I'm not seeing you at work right now are, are you going to step in and are you going to rescue me this time where are you why aren't you kind of doing the things that I expect you to do and sometimes we're a little bit like that too aren't we and God doesn't do things the way that we expect or in the timing that we expect or, or in the place that we expect. And we go, God, are you still there? Maybe. And I think this is one of the things that it's often kind of something that we don't talk about because we worry that if we're honest about our doubts, then people will think that we're faithless or a bad Christian. People will think, you know, because all those things go through your mind, don't you? If, if I'm honest about my doubts, people are going to think that I'm not a good Christian. People are going to think that I don't have a very good relationship with God or that I don't know much or all those kind of things. But the thing about doubt itself is that doubt is not sinful or wrong. Jesus actually uh, is quite okay with doubt, uh, depending on the circumstances. And doubt can actually be... Uh, a positive thing because doubt can be a catalyst to spiritual growth. When we're honest about our doubts, and we actually allow those doubts to, I guess, to, to prompt us or to, to push us into going and, and looking for answers and finding answers, doubt can actually be that thing that helps us to actually solidify our faith and what we believe. Not, even, not, not to mention even those times when we have actually kind of misunderstood something or been taught something wrong. Sometimes we ought to doubt some of those things, shouldn't we? And, and doubt actually leads us to the truth. But even when we're kind of doubting things that are, uh, are right, doubt can lead us to that place where we find answers, where we come to Jesus. And so we're going to look at, uh, in a minute, um, the stories of some people in the Bible um, uh, who, I guess, express doubt in some way in their lives. But, but doubts, uh, I guess, I, I find, as I was kind of reflecting on the whole doubt thing, I was thinking that there are a, a few different kinds of categories that we can kind of put doubt into if you like. So first kind of category is intellectual doubts. So these are the kind of doubts that are often raised by um, people who are not 
uh, believers or not yet part of the church or people who are new to the faith or things like you know is the bible really the word of god uh, is jesus the son of god did he really rise from the dead it's those kind of questions about these sort of things the second kind of category is spiritual doubts and these tend to be much more common for us as, as believers than as people inside the church and and as i said before probably more common than probably most of us would admit to um, but it's questions like am i really a christian have i really believed have i really put my trust in jesus why is it so hard to pray where you know is is god far away does god care does god listen why do i still feel guilty so these are some of the questions that often or, or doubts i suppose that kind of us as christians and as believers sometimes wrestle with and third there are the those circumstantial doubts and this is a really big kind of category and it encompasses all of the 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 whys of life you know why do why do bad stuff happen why did uh, uh, personally you know sometimes it'll be things like you know why did my child die why did my marriage break up why can't i find a husband or a wife why did my friend betray me where was god when that particular person in my life hurt me or wounded me or you know whatever might be the situation that you wrestle with and these are the questions that arise when our faith in god kind of intersects with a broken world because we live in a world that is broken we live in a world that uh, is filled with pain and suffering until it's redeemed by jesus so I just want to, I guess as we kind of approach this topic and before we come to the, the stories that I want to share with you, I just kind of want to, I guess, clarify some things. Um, number one is that uh, doubt is not the opposite of faith. A lot of people think doubt is the opposite of faith. It's either you, you believe or you're uncertain, but doubt is not the opposite of faith. Unbelief is the opposite of faith. And unbelief, I guess, kind of more refers to that sort of willful refusal to believe if you like, whereas doubt sort of more encompasses an uncertainty, I'm not sure what to believe, I want to believe, but I'm just not quite sure whether, whether I'm, I'm ready or able to at this point. Number two, many people think doubt is unforgivable, but it isn't. God doesn't condemn us when we ask questions. You see, right through Scripture, we, we read uh, the writers of Scripture who ask questions, from, from David that we, we mentioned before to, to Solomon and, you know, Job. Job is, is, is all about a guy who suffered terribly and asked questions of God. Now, it was a great kind of resolution and conclusion at the end of that, but God didn't rebuke him for asking the questions in sometimes the, the way that we think. It wasn't a deal-breaker for God, was it? God's big enough to handle our questions if we come to him with them honestly so that's, uh, doubt is not unforgivable number three a lot of people think that struggling with god means we lack faith but that's not necessarily true struggling with god is often a sign that we have faith uh, if, if we never struggle then we actually we rarely grow if we don't have questions, it means that we're not really thinking about things very deeply a lot of the time, doesn't it? 
So as we, as we kind of look at this uh, topic of, of doubt this morning and look at, I guess, the ways that God responds to our doubt sometimes in our life, I want to look at three uh, men who doubted in the New Testament and how Jesus interact with them, interacted with them. And yes, one of them is about in Mark chapter 9, and it's a father. It's a father with a son uh, who is demonized. And so the, this, this father has, uh, you know, we, we read this story about this, this father who seems really devoted and loving and caring for his son, but he's desperate. He's tried all these kinds of things, and, and for years, this, this demonic spirit that has oppressed this child has tried to kill him. He's tried to throw him into to, to waters, it's tried to throw him into fires, it's, uh, you know, at times it, it throws him on the ground and it talks about his body going rigid and what we might call a, a seizure or a convulsion and foaming at the mouth and, and all that kind of stuff. And this, this man has tried, you would imagine as a good father would do, he's tried to find solutions. This is not a problem that just occurred yesterday and he's like, Jesus is his first option. He's like, this has been an ongoing thing for years uh, and he would have tried, it is reasonable to assume, he doesn't tell us this in scripture, but it's reasonable to assume that he's tried the medical route, he's tried all kinds of other things to try to, to deal with this because, I mean, what, what parent likes seeing their child in, in pain and suffering and um, it, as a parent, I can say, I don't like it. <laughs> it's not a pleasant thing. It's one of those things that, that often for us as parents, we would, uh, we would often, you know, if it was possible and if we could, we'd want to take that suffering away from our children, even if it meant taking it on ourselves, wouldn't we? And so there's this father and, and we get this impression of a distressed dad who's tried everything. He's even uh, heard about Jesus and heard about the miracles and he's come and he's tried to find Jesus and Jesus was up on the mount being transfigured and so he, he comes across Jesus' disciples and they try to help him um, and they fail too. No, no answers, no solution. And, and who can blame him really? You know, uh, we see here in Mark 9, 22 and 23, he's talking to Jesus. And who can blame him for, for his words here where he says, have mercy on us and help us if you can. It's not exactly a, a, a ringing uh, vote of confidence for Jesus' ability, is it? It's like, if you can do something, if you can do anything, if, if it's at all possible, but there's that, that word if that's just kind of hanging in the air. And Jesus' response is, you know, anything is possible if a person believes. It's like, what do you mean if I can? <laughs> And, uh, you know, so, so there's that, that challenge back to the Father. And you can imagine if you put yourself in that Father's shoes, it's almost like Jesus is challenging him and saying, your son's healing, your son's deliverance and freedom relies on whether or not you believe. It's kind of a... Uh, a I, I don't know, I try to put myself in that situation. I think if I was the dad, I'd be tempted to just say that I believed whether I did or not oh yeah, yeah of course I believe I believe I believe but there's this this honesty that comes through and it's like there's this conviction from Jesus towards this dad isn't there and and, and we hear this voice of honesty that says um you know he cries out and he says I do believe but help me overcome my unbelief and sometimes there's a, there's almost this thing where we feel like doubt and faith can't coexist that one cancels out the other and yet again 
and again and again in Scripture we read, and I think it confirms our own experience that doubt and faith can actually kind of coexist. But we have a choice about what we do about that and how we act. And we'll get to that in a moment. But certainly I think we've all said at some time or, or, or words to the effect of, God, I, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Lord, I believe, but I'm, I'm wrestling with this doubt. Lord, I know you can, but I'm not sure whether or not you will. Lord, the situation seems hopeless. Help me to put my trust in you. The second character that I want to talk about this morning is John the Baptist. John the Baptist, we kind of know the story a little bit. He was the cousin of Jesus and he came before Jesus and part of his job was about preparing the way and pointing people to Jesus and he was out there in the wilderness, you know, eating bugs and wild honey and, you know, like the bare grills of Jesus' day, kind of survival man. Uh, <laughs> But he was out and people would flock out to hear his message, you know, and he would be preaching to these crowds and saying, you know, it's time to repent. The Messiah is coming. The kingdom of God is here. Turn away from the things that you thought uh, were, were the, the, the pillars of yourself or was going to bring you salvation and, and turn back to God. But John the Baptist kind of had this moment and we read about it in Matthew 11, and John the Baptist had been put in prison because he had dared to criticize uh, Herod uh, and, and call him out on one of the terrible uh, things that he was doing. And so, you know, Herod being the, the, the ruler of, of Judah threw him in prison. Uh, and we read in Matthew 11, verse 2 and, and 3, it said, John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing, so he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah that we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? Now, at first glance, that doesn't seem like an unreasonable thing. It kind of almost sounds like a good kind of thing, doesn't it? John's saying, oh, maybe Jesus is the Messiah. He's kind of like he's recognising. But we've got to remember that this is the same John the Baptist that a few chapters earlier and right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry made these declarations when Jesus came down to the, the Jordan to be baptised uh, by John the Baptist, it says, J John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Uh, verse 33 and 34 says, I didn't know, this is John's talking still, he says, I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptise with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptise with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that He is the chosen one of God. This is John's declaration. And yet it's a, it's a few chapters, so, so when we kind of have that context where John has made this declaration, where John has been given this insight, this spiritual insight, and now suddenly we find John in prison, uh, and, and there's this, this, we start to see the doubt coming in, don't we? And it's, it's like there's this, this isolation as he's cut off and he's shut off and he's not sure. He sends his disciples out to, to go and Jesus and now suddenly we hear a little bit more uncertainty in the question, don't we? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one that was to come or, or is there someone else? Locked up in his prison cell, 
miserable and suffering. There's no padded beds or, you know, it's not probably not that clean in those days, not like prison cells, but regardless of how clean or pleasant it is, locked up is locked up, am I right? Uh, but John begins to wonder, <laughs> not that I'm speaking from personal experience. <laughs> I am theorising, I, I assume, uh, <laughs> I don't want to be locked up anywhere. Um, but John begins to have these doubts. And so things aren't working out the way that, that I thought they were going to work out. Uh, and he has these doubts. And, and our circumstances too can cause us to have doubts about things that even that we were once confident of. I don't know if you've experienced that. I suspect that you probably have. You can look back in, at a time in your life and at, at the things that you were once absolutely sure about and certain of and um, now with a little bit more experience you realise that you don't know quite as much as what you thought you did back then. And generally, what seems to be the pattern is that the older we get, the more we know and the more we realise we didn't know much back then, even though we thought we had it all figured out. Uh, sometimes, you know, we get this, you know, we, when we have, we just, you know, had a miracle healing, for example. It's easy to be absolutely full of faith and go, yes, I believe in healing and God heals and answers when we pray. You know, and then down the track a little bit further on and, and we, we have another sickness or an illness or something we need healing for and we pray and we don't get the answer. And what happens? We suddenly start to go, ah, oh, maybe, yeah, we, we, sometimes we'll rationalise away what happened before or th- those doubts start to creep into our mind, don't they? We start to go, maybe it's not as simple as I thought. Maybe it's not just a matter of, you know, blab it and grab it or, you know, name it and proclaim it or, you know, all those kind of things. Maybe there's stuff going on that I don't understand. Why don't I get healed? How does Jesus respond to John the Baptist? Does he rebuke John for his lack of faith and saying, hey, you know, look, God showed you a new, why are you, why are you doubting it now? Come on, get your act together. No, it's like we talked about before. This is the answer that Jesus gives. He gives him the evidence that he needs. He says, Jesus says to John's disciples who've come and found him and passed on the message. And he says, go take back to John and tell him what you've heard and what you've seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life and the good news is being preached to the poor. Essentially what Jesus that the message that Jesus sends back to John is, is this, the broken and the hurting people of the world are being transformed. And, and it's interesting because Jesus makes another statement. And he's actually talking to the people around him just a couple of verses later in verse 11. He says this, so remember this is like John has just sent this message and it's like he's, he's having doubts and he's unsure and, and asking questions and all that kind of stuff. Jesus sends the message back but then he turns around to the people that he's with and he says this, he says, I tell you the truth, all, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. What an interesting statement to make given what has just taken place, that Jesus has just 
kind of be, become, a, you know, be made aware of, of John's doubt. And in the midst of John's doubt, Jesus declares, hey, he might doubt me, but I don't doubt him. You know, he's, he's still my guy. What a great, isn't that an incredible affirmation? Isn't that a, a, a comforting thing for us when we have those moments of doubt to go, Jesus doesn't give up on me when I have a doubt. Jesus doesn't sack me from the, the kingdom team um, if I have a moment of asking questions or if I need that reassurance or if I have a moment of uncertainty. All right, so that's John the Baptist. So we've had the, the father, John the Baptist, and number three, last one. Who can guess who it is? Tom, it's got to be Thomas. We can't talk about doubt without talking about Thomas. No, not Thomas the Tank Engine. <laughs> Thomas the Disciple of Jesus. Now, now Thomas, Thomas, gets a bit of a, a, Thomas gets a bit of a bad rap, doesn't he? Like he's, he's got branded Doubting Thomas and is like, you know, even people who don't go to church know about Doubting Thomas, all right? It's just, they become this association. But I wanna, there's a couple of things that we need to understand about Thomas. Thomas is not talked about a lot uh, in the Gospels, I mean, he gets a few mentions sort of when they do the list of who all the disciples were, but there's really only three kind of scenarios that we read specifically where Thomas gets more than just a, a mention of name, all right? And the first one, um, Thomas pops onto the scene when Jesus is talking about, remember when Lazarus got sick and they were at Jericho and they had messages from uh, Mary and Martha to say that Lazarus is sick Lazarus lived in Bethany, which was just on the outskirts of Jerusalem. And, and we know that story about Lazarus, but the, the, disciple, the first thing the disciples do is they remind Jesus that the last time he went to Jerusalem, the religious leaders tried to stone him to death. So they're like, Jesus, you do not want to go back there. This is not a good idea. You know, this is, it, is, it is suicidal to try to go back to Jerusalem. As soon as the word gets around that you're back, people are going to come after you. And Jesus decides to go anyway. The disciples are pretty unconvinced about the, the wisdom of this whole plan. You know, they're doing the whole, I just don't know how well this plan was thought through. <laughs> but Thomas pipes up. And this is the first, word. Thomas pipes up and he says this. He says, Thomas, who was nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go to and die with Jesus. That is a guy who is loyal and that is a guy who is courageous. There is a guy who says, I've chucked in my lot with Jesus, I believe in who he is and what he says and if it means going to our death, then let's go. I don't know too many people, I don't know if I would have had the courage to say that, to be honest. I think I'm much more of the, the um, now let's just think through and let's, you know, see if we can figure out a way to kind of sneak in and make sure no one knows that you're there so that, you know, you can heal Lazarus and then we'll quickly scoot out again and we'll be smart about all this. That's, that's my thinking, all right, that, that's me. But here's Thomas and he's just like, oh, let's, you know, if that's, if, that's what it, if that's what it takes, let's go, let's go do it. If that's, that's the end of my life, if I've got to give my life for Jesus, I'm ready to give it. We don't often get that picture of Thomas, really, do we? The second thing that we read about Thomas, and he kind of comes up one more time before the crucifixion, 
And it seems like Thomas is a guy who doesn't just kind of accept the easy answers. He actually wants to think about stuff and understand stuff and process stuff and make sense of stuff. In John chapter 14, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's trying to prepare them for what's going to happen when he dies. And, and, and we read, you might know these verses, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I'll come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. Now, I have absolutely no doubt that probably all of the disciples at that point did not really fully understand what Jesus was talking about. And we see it again and again, like they didn't really understand the the spiritual nature, they didn't understand about Jesus needing to die, um, his his death and resurrection, even though Jesus began to talk to them about it plainly, they still thought that he was going to establish a kingdom and be crowned and, and rule from a throne and kick out the Romans and all that kind of stuff. And I can absolutely say with confidence that they didn't get what was going on here. But there was only one guy that spoke up, and said, hey Jesus, I don't understand, and that was Thomas. And the next verse, he's like, no, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus responded, you know, obviously with those words that we know, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But you can imagine in that, in that moment, you know, so if you ever you remember what it was like to be in school. Some of you younger people remember what it's like in school, and you don't understand something, and you're a little bit nervous about putting up your hand and saying that you don't understand. And then someone else does, and you're like, "Phew, I'm glad they asked that question, so I don't have to." <laughs> I reckon it might have been a little bit like that, where the disciples are going, "Oh yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, Jesus, what about that?" You know, and they're like, "Yeah, phew, glad Thomas asked that question. Now I don't, I don't look silly if you know Jesus tells him off or something. At least it won't be me." You know. <laughs> But Thomas is like, he's, he wants to understand. He's not happy with just kind of like the surface explanation if he doesn't get it. And so he's asking these questions and he's thinking about things, he's listening and there's kind of this, um, this, this honesty that comes out of him and says, Jesus, I don't understand, what are you talking about? Where are you going? How can we know the way if we don't know where you're going? So that was number two, he didn't accept easy answers. Number three, he was fully devoted to Jesus. So the Gospels give us a picture of Thomas as a man who was fully devoted to Jesus. He was with him in all of those places. He was with him in the, the upper room. Uh, he was with him in the Garden of Gethsemane. Thomas was ready. He was a guy who was ready to die with Jesus. Now John tells us that Thomas was not present on that Sunday evening after the, the resurrection when Jesus appeared to the other disciples. And it doesn't say why he wasn't there, but I think maybe um, there's a possible explanation that I can suggest. And that's this, There there are different ways that people respond to sorrow and grief, isn't there? Some of us seek the comfort that comes from being around other people having other people around us. But there are others of us who kind of, we want to retreat. We need time 
away from people to not have to talk to anybody or entertain anybody or feed anybody or look after anybody else's needs. We just want to get away. We need time to process. We need time to think things through by ourselves. And I suspect that maybe Thomas was a little bit like that. That maybe he wasn't with the other disciples because he was grieving over Jesus' death. There was this, this sorrow because Thomas had given everything that he had to this man, Jesus. He, he'd, he'd thrown in his lot with Jesus. He, he, was, he was all in. And, he, you know, he still, he still loves uh, Jesus and he still wants to believe. But, you know, this is not a, a disciple who's walked away from the faith. This is just a disciple who is wounded and, and hurting and broken. Thomas is not a bad man, not a bad guy. And I don't think that his doubt was sinful. He's not a, you know, he's not an unbelieving skeptic. He's like, no, nah, I don't believe it. You know, he's just this this wounded believer who's who's trying hard to accept it, but he's struggling with the reality. And I think a lot of us can probably relate and identify with that. A lot of us have a tendency to look down on Thomas and the way that he responded to the news about Jesus, don't we? But Jesus didn't. Eight days later, John tells us that Jesus appeared to the disciples a second time. And this time, Thomas was with them. Jesus speaks to Thomas as one who is weak, not as one who has a bad heart. Uh, Verse 27, Jesus says to Thomas, he comes to Thomas and says, Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. It's, it's worth noting that Jesus knew all about Thomas's doubts. Even though Jesus wasn't there when Thomas said those words, because Thomas said those words to the disciples when Jesus wasn't present. He's like, you know, do you remember? He says, unless I see his wounds for myself, I, I, I won't believe. I can't believe. Jesus knew, didn't he? Because he, he responds exactly to those words that, that Thomas spoke to those other disciples. Jesus knew the, 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 the things that were going on inside of Tom, the things that he was wrestling with, the struggles, the doubts. And it, he came just so that Thomas could be sure. Jesus put him down. He says, hey, come here, see, see for yourself. Look and believe. Jesus wasn't offended by Thomas's doubt. And he isn't offended by yours either. In fact, every church, I think, I think every church should have a sign or kind of like have a message, uh, should speak a message that says doubt is welcome. If you have doubts, come inside, come and check us out. If you have questions, come in. If you're uncertain, come in. If you're a skeptic, come in. If you're searching for truth, come in. How, how much of that is, is our message? How, how, do people hear that message when they talk to us? Do people feel like it's okay to come with questions, to come with doubts? Doubts don't have to define you and at times they actually serve to lead us to faith, just like Thomas. When 
when Thomas encountered Jesus, when we bring our doubts to Jesus, just like Thomas, I, this is how Thomas responded. When Jesus came and said, hey, you know, we don't, we don't necessarily know whether Thomas actually, you know, touched his hands or, you know, checked him out to see if he was a ghost or not or, you know, whatever. All we read is that Thomas cried out, my Lord and my God. There was this, this moment where his doubt was transformed to faith and belief. And I think that that's, that's one of the things that, that doubt can actually become the, you know, when, when we search for those answers, when we bring those doubts to Jesus, when we're honest about those things and look into those things and search those things out, they can actually become the foundation of what we actually really are confident of and believe, the convictions that we have are the doubts that we've uh, explored and been honest about. So I want to give you quickly, as we, in the, in the last few minutes, some tips for moving from doubt to faith. Because doubt isn't sinful in and of itself. Doubt isn't uh, necessarily the, 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 uh, the deal breaker with God. God's not offended by our doubt, but it can be dangerous depending on what we do with it. And I don't, I think sometimes our tendency is to want to ignore it isn't it? It's want to make it go away, stuff it down, pretend it's not there and just keep telling ourselves that we're all faith and we're all belief and, and ignore that doubt. Maybe that's just me, I don't know, if anyone relates to me on that one. But I want to give you some tips. So first, first tip is this, admit your doubts and ask for help. That's what the father who came to Jesus did. You know, he said, Lord, I, I believe, help my unbelief. And just like we sometimes come to Jesus and need to come to Jesus. And with that, when we have those moments of doubt, saying, Jesus, I'm struggling with this. I've got this uncertainty. Will you please help me? Help me to trust you. Help me to believe in you. He can take it. it, it like I said before, he's not going to be offended by your questions uh, and your uncertainties. But pretending that you don't have them doesn't make them go away. I don't know if you've ever discovered that. Have you ever discovered that? They, they tend to just kind of sit there and, and uh, sooner or at other, some other point in time, they'll pop up again. Something will trigger it and it'll pop up again and you go, oh, that's still there. <laughs> Tell Jesus your doubts, your fears, cry out to Him for help. And, and this is important, don't feel like you have to battle that alone. Find a trusted Christian friend, maybe it's someone in your, your small group or, you know, uh, pastor you can talk to me you can talk to someone that you, you trust that you know is a, is a, a a strong believer and talk to them about the things pray ask them to pray with you and walk with you as you you're wrestling with that and don't be concerned about whether they might judge you because i can guarantee you there are doubts and concerns and fears and worries that they're dealing with too all right number two recognize that faith is a choice not a feeling Sometimes we kind of, we want to feel faith, don't we? Sometimes we want to feel confident. Sometimes we want to feel like we know with certainty. But faith is a choice. Sometimes we believe because of what we see. Sometimes we believe in spite of what we see. Faith is something that we choose regardless of what might be going on around us at the time. Number three, this is an interesting one, don't be afraid to borrow some faith. <laughs> what do I mean by that? Sometimes 
it can be really helpful when we're talking with someone about an area where we're, 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 we have doubts or we're, we're struggling with or we're wrestling with, it can be helpful to talk to someone who says, don't worry, um, I, I believe God can. I got, you know, someone who feels, it's like they've got enough faith for the both of us. And someone who'll pray with us. Uh, and it's almost like we're kind of borrowing a little bit of faith from that person until we kind of, you know, until it grows and, and we discover our own. Get around people who have enough faith for you to borrow some when you need it. People who will encourage you. People who will help you to stand. Number four, this is an important one, act on your faith, not on your doubts. Your doubts do not have to define your choices. Your doubts do not have to define your actions. This is what Noah did when he built the ark. You think that guy didn't have some doubts or some questions? Like how many years did that guy spend building this massive boat before he saw an animal, before he saw a drop of water? I can tell you, like, if he was human, then he had some doubts somewhere along the way. You know, it's, it's what Abraham did when he left his homeland to go to the place God called him to. We know that Abraham was a guy, you know, at, at times, like, he, he believed the promise and he acted on the promise. But did he have doubts? I'm pretty sure he probably did, sometimes more than others. It's what David did when he faced Goliath. And we kind of get the story of David and Goliath. David is like, oh, yes, God can do it. Oh, I got no doubt and confidence and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, we don't know what was going on in his head. He certainly allowed King Saul to, to put his armor on him. And he's like, oh, maybe I'll try this out. <laughs> but David didn't allow any doubt or, or, or fear to dictate his actions. He's like, I'm going to act on faith. I'm going to act on what I believe God can do. Um, when Joshua marched around Jericho, he was acting on his faith not on doubts. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, do you remember those guys? And they were like, you know, when the music plays, you've got to bow down to the, the big statue of the king, otherwise you get thrown in the big scary fire. Uh, and they're like, uh, no, we're not going to do that. We only worship God and we're not going to worship any human being. And if that means that you throw us in the fire, that means you throw us in the fire and maybe God will rescue us, maybe he won't, but we're not bowing down. They acted on their faith. And you can hear that element of uncertainty about what's going to happen. Not, not any uncertainty about whether or not they should worship only God. That was their, their conviction and what they believed, but there was a little bit of uncertainty about what's going to happen. We don't know whether God's going to rescue us from the fire or not. Maybe He will. That'd be awesome. But even if He doesn't, this is the line that we've drawn. Um, <coughs> They didn't know in advance, all of these guys. And, and you can look at story after story of, of people who acted on faith in spite of the doubt that they um, may have felt. They didn't know how everything was going to turn out. But they took a deep breath and they trusted God and they acted in faith. Number five, doubt your, doubt your doubts, not your faith. You've got to get that the right way around. Doubt your doubts and not your faith. Sometimes we go through dark valleys. Sometimes we go through dark places. And when we're going through difficult situations, it can be easy to be tempted uh, to, to give in to doubt and fear. 
we, we face that temptation, don't we? There's those things that say, you know, that, that want to call us away and say, God's not going to come through for you this time. And it's easy to believe those things and to fall into that. One of the things that we can do in those situations is just to keep, keep moving, keep walking, keep putting one foot in front of the other. It's how we get out of those things. Every step forward is a way to, to doubt your doubts. Uh, number six, understand that there are some things that you won't understand. There are some things that you are never going to understand this side of heaven. There may even be, I don't know, there may even be some things that we don't understand on the other side. Because <laughs> we're still not God. You know, um, there will always be questions that we don't know the answers to. Jesus never promised all the answers. What He promised was to be with us. And the last one, keep going back to what you know is true. This is so important. Keep going back to what you know is true. When you have uncertainty about some things, go back to what you know is true. Paul, uh, when he writes in, in Romans, he's talking about you know, uh, the sufferings of this life and perils and the tribulations about following Christ. But he concludes in Romans 8 with this kind of triumphant declaration in, in verse 38. And he says, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. He says, this is what I'm convinced. This is what I know. This is one of my, my bedrock kind of convictions. Nothing can ever separate us from God's love. You know, there are some things that you think, some things you hope, and some things you know. And it's really helpful at times when we're wrestling with something that we're uncertain about to go back and go, what are my convictions? What am I confident in? What do I know that I know that I know? There are a lot of things about God that I don't fully understand. There are a lot of things that I can wrestle with and be unsure about, but there are some things in my life that I know, that I have an absolute conviction of. God is good. That's one of those things for me is that God is good. Um, people matter more than things. Uh, life is short. God can bring good out of even the most terrible of circumstances. There's a whole bunch of things that I, I have a really, uh, like an absolute kind of conviction that I, that I know. One of those things is that He is God and I'm not. Pretty sure on that one. <laughs> But he's, that he's, it means He's sovereign over all things and it means that I can trust Him. And there comes a moment when you've got to make that decision about what you believe. You've got to go, you know, like Thomas, am I going to go all in in believing in Jesus? Am I going to take that leap of faith, take that step of going, you know, I may not understand everything, but what I know is that I need to take that step and I need to go all in and commit. And it's risky because going all in, if you, under, if you know the rules of, of poker and that kind of stuff, going all in is like when you get all your chips that represent all your, your money and your cash and your wealth and you, you risk it all. And if you're right, you win big. If you're wrong, you lose everything. I'm not advocating poker or gambling, but... <laughs> 
But one of the things that we've got to decide at some point in our life is whether to go all in with Jesus. And it's, it's, it's many years ago, um, I made that decision for me, for, for my life, that I was going all in on Jesus. I'm, you know, pushing it all in there. This is uh, essentially my life revolves around what Jesus wants for me. I'm going all in that Jesus is who he said he was. Uh, says he is he's the son of god that he died on the cross for my sins that he rose again on the third day that is the the lord of everything and that someday he's gonna return and and reward those who've been faithful it doesn't necessarily mean or it doesn't mean that i'll never have another doubt and for you, it doesn't mean that you'll never have another doubt, but it does mean that, you know, th- those, there are those things that we know that we, you know, if, if there's other things that are shaky, we've still got that foundation, that stuff that uh, no matter where I fall, I only fall this far because these are the things that, that don't change in my life. God will never turn away an honest doubter. Come to Him with your questions come to him with your uncertainties come to him with your doubts and cry out lord i believe help my unbelief i believe that god will always answer that prayer when we pray that with honesty let's pray together father we thank you that you love us that you accept us god we thank you that you are big enough to deal with our uncertainties that you're big enough to, to cope with our questions, that you're not offended when, when we wrestle with stuff and we're unsure about things. And Lord, we thank you that you are faithful. We thank you that we can come to you with all of those things, that we can be honest with you and we can be honest with each other um, about those doubts and uncertainties. And, and I guess have that confidence that as we honestly wrestle with that stuff, that we will grow in our faith, that you have answers for us, for, for some things and other things we can just trust you and trust that, you know, you understand them even if we don't. Father, I pray for each person that's here this morning. Lord, each person that has doubts about different things, every person here that has questions, uh, every person here that has things where they're going, I, I, I'm not sure. Lord, I pray that you would speak to them as they bring those questions to you, that you would speak to them. Speak to them through your spirit. Speak to them uh, through people around them that can help them and encourage them, maybe lend them some faith. Father, we thank you um, that you always hear us when we cry out to you. And we pray that you would help us to be honest about the doubts that we're wrestling with. Lord, not to ignore them, but to bring them to you, trust you with them, and maybe grow as we search out uh, your truth and your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information or to listen to other podcasts, head to our website at BethelCRC.org.au or check out Bethel Family Church on Facebook.